The Start On Demand. Mackling and McGarry, once again. Has it been December 21st? was the last time I saw you, I guess. It's been a year. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't seen you since last year. Last year. Oh, New Year's jokes. (laughs) What's the cutoff for wishing someone a good or a happy New Year? Well, Seinfeld says it's like the end of January. Really? Other ones got New Year'd in May. (laughs) (laughs) Really? (laughs) Don't they do a whole thing on that, Jerry? There's a Seinfeld (laughs) episode where they reference when it's appropriate to uh, give someone a Happy New Year. But I think January 3rd, we're safe. So, Brett McGarry, Happy New Year. Seinfeld, Happy New Year. Hang on a second. He does have a he has a philosophy on this. There's a here's here we go. You found the clip. Oh, I got to ask Jerry. Hang on. I'm going to start over. Uh, let's try this again. Hey, do you believe I got Happy New Year today? It's February. I once got Happy New Year in March. <laughs> it's pathetic. <laughs> hey, is it cold out? Really cold. Scary cold? I don't know. What's your definition of scary cold? <laughs> okay, George is wearing a giant parka. Oh, it's the puffy coat. <laughs> 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 okay. All right. So okay. So it wasn't May. It was March. Still. And uh, Elaine was offended by the February Happy New Year. So I think maybe you're good in the month of January, but heading towards the end of January might be pushing it a little bit. I'd say the first ten days or so. Yeah, I don't have a problem with that. What do you think, Jerry? What's 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 the what's the cutoff line? I I think end of January. End of January, 204-780-6868. What's the cutoff line for giving someone a happy new year? We want to know from you. And Jerry, how are you doing, by the way? I know that uh, that jingle Jerry, the, the month of December, is a, <laughs> is a good time for you. And uh, do you fall into sort of a post-holiday funk? Or how do you how do you deal with that? Well, I haven't yet because I've still got all my Christmas decorations up. Sarah keeps bothering me. You know, we should really take all these down. I say, nope, nope, not yet, <laughs> not yet, not ready, not ready, not going to happen. <laughs> okay, so it's a you're in a denial phase right pretty, now. Pretty much. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we're here for you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Speaking of scary <laughs> cold, was it? Uh, Jerry said it was scary cold in that clip. Well, he, she was saying he was trying to find out what is scary cold, and then Jerry or then George walked in with his gigantic, puffy black and brown parka. Was how, it Gore-Tex? <laughs> it is. It's Gore-Tex. <laughs> okay. I don't know how does George say it. He's got that New York accent. It's Gore-Tex. That's pretty good. Yeah, something like that. Uh, you want to know scary cold? How about an inch of snow in uh, Tallahassee, Florida, potentially today? In the, Florida, Tallahassee, the state capital, right? Yes. <laughs> As I said it, I questioned myself. Yeah, here's from CNN. Freezing rain, sleet, and snow will fall along the southeast on Wednesday and lead the way for a brutal winter storm that is expected to strengthen rapidly as it moves toward the northeast. It could be the first time in years that some portions of the southeast have snow. Residents in Tallahassee, Florida are expecting up to an inch of snow and ice on Wednesday. But the city has not had measurable snowfall since 1989, said CNN meteorologist Michael Guy. The Jacksonville, Florida mayor Lenny Curry also saying the area there is getting weather they're not used to. And even though it may warm up some bit in the afternoon into the evening drive time, there could be very severe weather, a lot of moisture, very cold, which could create ice on bridges, ice on roads. There's also a possibility of snow.
Now, I remember going to Florida in 1989, in fact. And oddly enough, we were, we went down to Orlando and the, the Cocoa Beach area. And when we got there, so we left Winnipeg that very early in the morning, like before five o'clock in the morning. It was back when they were still measured the wind chill, not in feels like, but it was the wind chill was like 2,400. Yeah, remember watts that? per square meter or something like that? I, I All I knew is that when it got to 2,000, that was really bad. Okay. So it was minus 25, minus 30. Wind chill was 22 or 2,400. I do so remember that. We were happy to, to go to Florida, even though I think we had to make three stops along the way. But uh, so we got there that afternoon. And we're of course we're all in t-shirts and shorts. I think it was 19 degrees Celsius. And uh, the people who live there are looking at us when their sweaters and their pants and they're saying, "Aren't you cold? Do you know where we just came from? This is this is paradise." Oh yeah, I've been in San Francisco in a t-shirt or a sweatshirt, and everybody's bundled up with scarves and toques and everything. It's all relative, man. Well, it's funny what you get used to, right? Uh, absolutely. I mean, just it is. a couple of days ago, I guess it was. I guess it was New Year's Eve because I stopped at my parents uh, for a visit before I went out bowling uh, that evening. And so it was sunny when I, in the morning, but it clouded over in the afternoon. And I remember walking out to my car just for a moment, mid-afternoon, and I thought, it's actually not that bad right now. My hands aren't freezing immediately. It was minus 22 and I'm standing out there thinking, oh, this is nice. The, uh, the, the weather was actually quite... Uh, enjoyable would be a stretch, but it was palatable, it was manageable mm-hmm. on New Year's Day in the afternoon. That sun was bright, there was barely a breath of wind, and uh, lots of winter activities uh, going on, of course. We'll be highlighting a few of those today as we make our way through the program, including the Forks and the Skating Trail. The River, Red River Mutual Skating Trail has now been extended to the Osborne Street Bridge, so that's... Uh, Going to be lots of fun for folks as the weekend forecast is looking not bad at all. Almost perfect for getting out on the river. Yeah, I know that Christian O'Mell, who co-hosted, is co-hosting the news this week with Richard Cluche. They spoke with Chelsea Thompson from the Forks North Part- Partnership. And Christian, uh, at one point, I think that's how he actually opens the conversation by saying, 1.5 kilometers are open right now. When are we going to get more? Not, <laughs> hey, it's, uh, it's awesome. We got 1.5. When are we going to get more? Because I know he loves to go out there and spend time he on the does, river. He does, but that's Christian, right? Right? He's always, uh, you know, he wants more. He's a, he's a very, very high achiever, is Christian. Mackling and McGarry together again on the Shadow Davis program. And uh, I, did you play a little bit on Twitter? I know you're most mostly Instagram and Facebook. You don't do the Twitter thing. I'm not on Twitter, no. It, no? That no. wasn't your New Year's resolution to get on Twitter? No. You know, a lot of listeners are demanding that you get on Twitter. That's false. They want to follow you on Twitter. <laughs> I think that's a lie. What about Instagram? How do we follow you on Instagram? Brett McGarry. Jeez, boy, you make it really that difficult. It's not innocuous <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. Uh, and you know who's not innocuous either? U.S. President Donald Trump. He, uh, well, he says what he thinks. Maybe sometimes he says a little bit too much. Shadow Davis has a take on that. Good morning. For those of us that follow Donald Trump on Twitter, and there are many, he has 45.7 million of us, a lot of stuff tends to fall through the cracks. He's just on there so often tweeting misguided rhetoric that you tend to just ignore it after a while. And then he'll go quiet for a day or so. But then a day comes along like yesterday, where it seems the man has nothing better to do but boast and threaten. And that's when it catches your attention. So here are the highlights slash lowlights 
of Trump's tweet fest from yesterday. First, since taking office, I've been very strict on commercial aviation. Good news. It was just reported there were zero deaths in 2017, the best and safest year on record. Congratulations, Donald. Apparently, he is taking credit for no plane crashes. This man is truly amazing. I wonder if he was up there like Superman holding a plane up so it wouldn't crash. Here's another. I'll be announcing the most dishonest and corrupt media awards of the year on Monday at 5 o'clock. Subjects will cover dishonesty and bad reporting in various categories from the fake news media. Stay tuned. Get over it, Don. Get over it. But this is the one that really seemed to get everybody's attention on a destruction of the world type level, I guess you'd say. North Korean leader Kim Jong-un just stated the nuclear button is on his desk at all times. Will someone from his depleted and food-starved regime please inform him that I, too, have a nuclear button, but it is a much bigger and more powerful one than his, and my button works? This comes after that television address by Kim Jong-un, in which he said, The United States cannot bring about a war against me and our country. The entire U.S. mainland is within range of our nuclear strike. And the button is always on the table in my office. They should clearly know that this is certainly not a threat, but rather a reality. Okay, two weeks from now, the U.S. and Canada will be co-hosting an international summit in Vancouver to talk about the North Korean threat. But Japanese experts are suggesting that North Korea is not ready to talk at all. Keep in mind, Japan and South Korea have been under this type of threat for decades now. The National Post spoke to Ken Jimbo, an assistant professor at Keio University, and he said, if you leave the situation, what's going to happen is the completion of North Korea as a nuclear weapons state. North Korea says that's only for deterrent purposes, but once they climb on top, They'll try to see some different types of sceneries. He also suggested the Trump administration could be considering some sort of preemptive strike to take out the North's nuclear arsenal in one shot. Poof! Uh, Trump did say back in August all options are on the table. Remember that? There are other experts that suggest the human and political cost of preemptive action would be too high, so that's very unlikely. Either way, folks, we've got ourselves a crisis here. A rogue nation with something very close to full nuclear capability and a dictator who continues prodding and threatening. Then you've got two world powers, China and Russia, who, according to Newsweek's interview with a retired Chinese general, were engaged in joint high-tech anti-missile drills just last month should the U.S. invade the North. And over here, an American president who seems far more interested in a, an online Johnson measuring contest and prattling on about fake news. And what did that? Will this be something kids tremble at in history class 50 years from now, if the world is still here, that is? Or am I just making too much of the whole thing? Back to Mackling and McGarry. Thank you very much, Shadow Davis. And Denis texted us, Greg, you're asking, how late can we say Happy New Year? He says, remember, Chinese New Year is in February, so you can wish it until then. I like that. I like that a lot. Greg Mackling here, Brett McGarry to my right, behind the glass, Jerry, Shadow Davis show for this Wednesday morning, January 3rd, 6.36 in the morning, still really dark out, even though the days are getting longer. Well, it's, you know, it is still, winter did just start. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Technically, I mean, just, uh, you know. 
I'm just lamenting the the fact that it's going to be dark like this for some time. Hey, um, after <laughs> the weather update in about uh, seven minutes' time, we are going to talk about our favorite novelty songs. This is inspired by a Manitoba duo who is lighting up the internet, uh, their homage to uh, life in the great white north. Uh, but before that, we're going to go to uh, Quebec. That is right. Lawyers will be making closing arguments today at the jury trial of three employees of a former American railway company. They are charged with criminal negligence in the deaths of 47 people in the Lac-Megantic train disaster. This happened July 6, 2013. Runaway train carrying crude oil from the U.S. derailed there and exploded, killing those 47 people and destroying part of the downtown core. Global News reporter Billy Shields joins us now live on 680 CJOB. Billy, good morning to you, sir. Good morning. So what is the Crown alleging? As we head into these closing arguments, what is the Crown saying that these guys should be convicted for? The, the charges that they're they're charged each with 47 counts of, of criminal negligence resulting in death. Uh, now, the thing that's interesting to note here is they're charged separately. They're not charged together in some sort of conspiracy type arrangement. So they're each going to be mounting their their, their attorneys are each going to be mounting their own defense one by one separately. And it's important to look at the way the organization was structured when you want to look for accountability. For example, a lot has been made about uh, Thomas Harding. He was the conductor of the train on that night. Uh, he set those handbrakes, and apparently testimony has been introduced saying that there were seven handbrakes set only on the locomotive. There were supposed to be 14 on the cars as well. But then, of course, other testimony would seem to, to suggest that, well, the safety procedures weren't shared with people. Safety procedures weren't updated. They went to a one-conductor system from a two-conductor system and didn't change any procedures as a result of that. That would, in, that would seem to imply that there would be accountability up the food chain a little bit. And, of course, the, what the jury is going to be looking at is uh, these three people are, you know, they had their positions. Should we – there was a sentiment in Lac-Megantic, for example, that shouldn't we be charging the president of the company with something? Yeah, and I think that's uh, fascinating because that's exactly the notes I'm writing as I'm listening to you speak here, Billy. It's Greg Mackling here. And this whole idea of the procedures and these individuals being on trial is one thing. But the fact that the parent company and no executives are involved in this trial is is, uh, overwhelming in my mind. Now, the parent company does have a pending trial at a later date so that there there is going to be a corporate trial of sorts. But you have to remember that's not that's not an individual. Um, it's not a criminal trial in the classic sense of the term. That's more of a uh, going after asset. Mm-hmm. And so the the accountability uh, is not the same. The consequences certainly aren't the same. And I think for for people in Lac-Mégantic, for example, I know that when the president of the company came through there. They were definitely, uh, they were enraged and, and they definitely expected him to be accountable. What are the potential consequences here, Billy? All three men are looking at uh, a maximum sentence of life in prison if they are convicted. 
Now, Billy, I'm just looking at uh, some other details here. This is a locomotive that was weighing more than 10,000 tons. The Crown arguing that it was not properly secured, leaving it resting precariously on a slope some 10 kilometers away from Lac Megantic. So I'm just wondering if you know if there's been any changes made in general that might prevent uh, the idea that even of leaving a train just sitting on a slope like this, uh, that that would be acceptable. Going Certainly, forward. the rail the railroad had changed almost overnight. I mean, it, it's it's interesting because this came out of the trial too. The railroad changed its safety procedures almost overnight, uh, and then it, it folded shortly after that. Uh, I think there has been a, a massive change in in railroad procedures, uh, both province wide and countrywide. A couple other things to remember: there is the notion that they should the the handbrakes are important. It should be ten percent plus a certain number. And then uh, those handbrakes should go on the locomotives and also on the cars. But another thing that came out in the trial is the fact that that train was laden with about 3,000 tons more crude oil than it should have been carrying. Uh, That was testimony that was was introduced during the, uh, during the, the prosecution's case. Billy, before we let you go here, what what is the feeling that you're getting from from locals and Lake Megantic uh, residents on this trial and and their feelings about who who should pay for this? I know we've kind of been touching on on the idea that these three individuals are you know in a criminal trial situation and that executives down the road and and the company in general may be held liable, <laughs> even though they've gone out of business. I don't know where they're going to get any uh, money or retribution on that front what what are locals saying about this idea of three individuals kind of being uh well from the outside looking in in my opinion that feels as though there's sacrificial lambs here i mean there's certainly the the notion that uh, there was a lot of anger you have to put yourself back in 2013 uh this disaster incinerated half a town it's not hyperbole to say that and there were there were a lot of angry people, people who wanted answers as to how uh, this could have happened. And so, right, we, we get to today, the railroad doesn't even exist anymore. Uh, the, the executives that were running the railroad are in the States. You've got three people in front of you in the defendant's box who, uh, who have various positions in the railroad. Uh, from conductor up to operations manager, railway traffic controller. But I think that there is this overall feeling, there's a vibe right now that, you know, we need some closure here. There's there, there's a, a bit of this process that's sort of, I think, cathartic where people just need to, to feel like they just need to get on and, and move on. All right, Billy Shields, thank you so much for joining us this morning live on 680 CJOB. Thanks for having me. Billy Shields is a reporter with Global News, and I'm just looking at the timeline here of what happened. So at one, I'm looking at a Globe and Mail article here, uh, and it says that at 12.56 a.m., the train starts to move down a 1.2% grade toward Lac Megantic, which is 9.7 kilometers away. 1.14, the train enters Lac Megantic. Just before the train hit the city center, somebody named Alex Catherine Gagnon getting gas on her way home from work. And she sees the train throttle by. Quote, that's really dangerous. Imagine the damage it could cause, she tells a friend. And then later on, she uh, she sees a huge ray of light in the sky as the tank cars jump the rails as the train 
turns well over its authorized speed. And then later that morning, the fire chief from a nearby town in Maine, a guy named Terry, ba- uh, Terry Bell, he arrived as they were deployed to help fight the blaze, and he sees burning rail cars stacked 10 or more high, eerily resembling logs just burning. I saw the movie Unstoppable with Chris Pine and Denzel Washington mm-hmm. over the Christmas break, and this was a somewhat similar situation with a runaway train. It had uh, tanker cars full of dangerous chemicals, and when you so often, right, art and and reality do mix, and obviously the idea here is that uh, life does imitate art, however, more tragically in the real life experience in Lake Megantic, and so many procedures not followed here. Uh, I know that the folks in Lake Megantic need this closure. It just does feel like these three individuals are are really being left hung out to dry here, and uh, boy... And it's going to be fascinating to see uh, how the jury comes back on this. Hey, we're coming to you from Manitoba, Canada, where it is cold outside tonight. I'm here with my brother-in-law, Joe, who is originally from... Zambia. Where it is a lot... A lot warmer than this. (laughs) Warmer than this. Ah, it's all right. You'll get used to it. Said no one ever. (laughs) 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 They say right now it's about minus 32 with a wind chill minus 44. It's supposed to go to minus 50 tonight. Pretty sweet. So anyways, we thought we'd sing you a song. You got Timmy's coffee? Sure do. Now before we play some of the song, who who was that? That's a couple of Manitobans from Oak Lake. Right near my, where I went to play golf. I was going to say, one of your favorite places to golf <laughs> in all of Manitoba. Uh, and so the, those guys, Robert Thiessen and Joe, I'm going to say Conga, created a parody song about our cold winters. It's called I Froze My Brain Up in Canada and is sung to Toto's Africa. Here is a clip of the song. I hear my house cracking in the night. Frost is building up on my doorway and in all my windows. Minus 50 with the wind chill tonight. They say it's colder here than in the south or even in the north pole. Now when I checked this morning on his Facebook page, Robert Thiessen, 250,000 views on his Facebook page. Not shabby at all. Uh, It's probably more by now. It's also available on YouTube. So yeah, if you want to find it, I froze my brain up in Canada. We're going to now have coffee and talk about our favorite novelty songs. Shanalee Vidal is here, Kelly Moore, Jeff Braun, Behind the Glass, Jerry, and of course, Mackling and McGarry on the Shadow Day of a Show. Shanalee! Why don't we start with you? What's your favorite novelty song? Uh, you know, it was really hard to narrow it down. I mean, obviously, I love Weird Al, but I've gotten into a lot of other things. I've, I've discovered uh, Rachel Bloom. She's from the uh, show My Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Mm, yes, yep. But uh, I decided to settle with uh, something by Garfunkel and Oates. Uh, one of my all-time Ooh. Garfunkel and Oates, they actually had their own TV show. One of my all-time favorite duos. I have to warn you, not a lot of their stuff is uh, radio-friendly, but this one is, for the most part. It's called 2931. It's from the perspective of one woman from the age of 29 and from the age of t- 31. 
So uh, the both girls play, one plays the part of the 29-year-old, the other one plays the part of the 31-year-old. And okay. here's a clip. The reason things go well for me is because of positivity. Well, I'm positive fertility always begins to atrophy when infantile fantasy eclipses true reality. It never once occurred to me that things won't work out perfectly. When God closes a door, you see, he opens a window. You realize that's a smaller opening, right? You used to be able to just walk out a door, and now you have to climb out some slightly ajar window somewhere, possibly falling like eight stories to your death. That is not an upgrade. And you know what else? There's nobody Seven left! billion people on the planet. My options will never, ever run out. You can't love someone else till you love yourself. You can't love someone else till you love yourself. <laughs> so yeah, Garfield what uh, one, of my, one of my favorite all-time duos, That's like I said. One of their songs was featured in uh, Scrubs. Actually, Jeff Brown, you might remember as well. Um, you're probably... If you, you would know her to see her. She's like like uh, this tiny little pixie like woman. Kate McCucci. She was on Big Bang Theory. Yeah, and she She's was Garfunkel. All, and she was uh, and she was also in Scrubs back in uh, 2009. They one of their songs was reworked into a, a, a song that was more friendly for broadcast. And they do a, they do a lot of songs like from the, from the female perspective, and and they're not afraid to tell the truth. Yeah, I've seen them on Just for Laughs. They're they're very very funny. So Kelly. Going back to the late 1970s. Go ahead, Jeff. Oh, no, I got nothing. You have nothing? No. No. <laughs> I'm like, is Jeff firing this clip? <laughs> He's like, what do you want from me? It's <laughs> earlier than the 70s. No, 1970s. King Tut, that's a prehistoric times. Steve Martin and the Toot Uncommons. <laughs> love those. I love that song. It is so much fun. I remember the year that that came out. That a morning show uh, was not a morning show until you played that yeah, tune for probably yeah. about six, seven months. And you have to see Steve Martin do it. You know, with oh, the yes. uh, with the headgear out of the whole bottle. Well done, Kelly. Lots of fun. Right yeah. on. I like that one. What do you got behind the glass, Jerry? I've got a song that uh, I, I just like to be contrary. So here's a song called uh, I'll Bet You They Won't Play That Song on the Radio. You can't say <laughs> on the radio or, or, or. <laughs> you can't even say I'd like to you someday unless you're a doctor with a very large. So I bet you they won't play this song on the radio. I bet you they dare well program it. Monty Python. Well, they go just lost the bet, huh? <laughs> we play the, the the very end. There's a sound effect that I play on the couch potatoes at least once a month, and it'll come up this weekend. I guarantee it. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. When we do our January movie preview, I know the song you're talking about. Uh, what's the song that you picked, Jeff? I picked a classic Chuck Berry tune. When I was a little bitty boy, my grandmother bought me a cute little toy. And it goes on from there, and it gets quite repetitive. Some lines have more than one meaning. The Simpsons version. Boy, I tell you, talk about a song that was popular in the mid, early to mid seventies. I guess though, the the Chuck Berry version of that song it played big time. Really? I remember us singing it in like middle school. That can't have been a school sanctioned thing. 
No. <laughs> I, think, I think somebody just heard the song. I've been waiting for this. Things were different back then. <laughs> I remember somebody doing that in a, in a uh, air band competition at Daniel Mack once upon a time. We have 45 seconds left. Okay. Let's get to Greg. Go. This is from Harlequin, the hockey rock Winnipeg style CD that was put out when the Jets left Winnipeg back in 1996. Randy Backman, Chris Gaffney, Streetheart did a variety of different songs in tribute to the Winnipeg Jets as they were leaving town. And this one is a tribute to Tempo Newman, who ironically. <laughs> Behind the Glass, Jerry and Tempo Newman are doppelgangers for one another if you look really, really close. You have to look really close. Not <laughs> as close as you think. I think you're I stretching have photographic that. evidence, Kelly. <laughs> we were talking about that, that story out of Indianapolis. That Jeff was reading? That Jeff was reading, and this whole idea... That, you know, you're dealing with a co-worker who's got a, an issue with body odor. How do you approach that? And, and I'm here, all I can think about as, as just reading that story is that the individual was trying to, I don't know the whole story, obviously, but on the surface, it sounds as though, you know, didn't want to offend somebody. Yeah. And now is being accused of offending and creating this hostile work environment based on trying to create a solution to a problem. And, of course, it's the person that is probably offending everyone in the office who stands up and says, hey, you're, you're, you're offending me. Yeah, this, uh, so the, yeah, because what's happening here, if you're just tuning in, Indianapolis is being sued by a former courts official who alleges she was fired after she installed air fresheners to combat a co-worker's body odor. So it really is one of the, one of the more awkward things I think that we have to deal with. I have had, I have had a colleague like this back when I worked at, I don't even want to say where I was. Yeah, don't say but in the job that I had some 20 years ago, there was a colleague who always had the B.O. stink. And I don't think it's because this person had bad hygiene. I just don't know if this person knew that he stunk. And we were all trying to figure out, well, how do we say... Like it, it's really, how do you approach that? Like because you know on the surface it shouldn't be that difficult. It's like going up to you know well, go ask her out. What's the worst she could? Well, what if she says no? So she says no. Like it's not the end of the world. Well, what you you can say, apply that same logic to this situation and say, well, just tell him he stinks. Well, it's not that easy because as I sit here and imagine if you stunk, Greg, and I said, <laughs> Greg, by the way, you know you stink. Like, how do you say it? How do you tell someone you disgust me in a nice way? Yeah, it's difficult to do. <laughs> I've told you the puppies in the doghouse story. I don't know. That I, a co-worker, a brand new job as a couple weeks in, very, very beautiful woman uh, who became a friend of mine. Kim was her name. And uh, she came to my desk second day in the office and I kind of gave her the old, I gave her the old signal. Oh, okay. And I said to her, I said, you got a couple puppies in the doghouse. <laughs> okay, and what are you doing? Greg's wiping his nose right, right now. Right, right. So there's a couple of <coughs> friends in the in the nose, in the nostrils there. <laughs> and you know what? She didn't talk to me for a month. 
She was so bothered by the fact that I would mention. And then she said, I'm not mad at you anymore because I realize you're a really nice guy and you're just trying to be kind. But I was I was mad at you for like three weeks. <laughs> and all I was trying to do was save her from a little bit of embarrassment. You know? I yeah, I don't know. I just have you ever been down this road before? How do you tell someone you need to step it up on the deodorant? Yeah, it's hard if you have a solution. And is it is it the tough love approach? Sometimes it's like ripping off a bandaid. Maybe it's the, the maybe not the the best way, not the easiest way to go about it, but perhaps it is the best way. I don't uh, know. I, I, yeah. Anyway, um, the billboard, the bane of my existence. The billboard. Mm-hmm. The issue of that old vacant billboard at Portage and Sherbrooke is before the city's board of adjustment today. Now, I like to think I'm fairly well versed in what goes on at City Hall and how they go about things. Can I confess something? Never until yesterday had I heard of the city's board of adjustment. Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't exactly sure what that was. Last month, we told you Sussex Realty was going to donate the billboard space free of charge to the Winnipeg Art Gallery. However, the public service is recommending that the bid be rejected. And they've got five reasons for doing so here, Brett. Okay. They're saying that the billboard sign is is too high. It exceeds 30 feet. In fact, I think it says somewhere in here it's over 120 feet off the ground. So that that's dramatically too high. A sign surface area of 672 square feet versus the 200 square feet that is allowable. A billboard sign on a heritage building, uh, that sign is apparently not permitted. A roof billboard sign, that sign is apparently not permitted. And a billboard sign visible from an adjacent residential use. There's the uh, Lions Manor. There's two buildings, one on the uh, northwest corner of Portage and Sherbrooke, and then on the south side of uh, Portage Avenue, about a block down, uh, residents would uh, be kind of staring at this thing. But can you think about what they're staring at right now? So we're asking the question, we asked the question the city yesterday, if the Board of Adjustments follows through on the public service recommendations and rejects the recommissioning of this billboard, what's going to happen to the ugly structure, which is how we started this whole conversation back in October anyway, was this ugly structure. The frame, the relic, uh, you know, for almost five decades as a billboard that's rusting away up there. We were very heartened to hear that it was going to be put back into use. But right now it's got graffiti on, I guess it's on the west side as you're heading east towards downtown. It's an absolute eyesore. We were celebrating the fact that, okay, you know what? Maybe the interim solution here is to have some incredible art celebrating the Winnipeg Art Gallery in the meantime until they figure this out. What are they going to do? Well, apparently from what we know, and nobody will confirm it for us, Brett, is there are no rules, there are no regulations, but our research tells us that if they reject this, there is no law, there are no bylaws, there's nothing really that they can do to force the owners of the billboard to take down the structure, even though it's highlighted in this report that it shouldn't be there in the first place. So it's just going to, it could potentially just remain status quo. And just stay there, ugly, as though all this discussion led to nowhere. You know, it's like the escalator to nowhere. Why do we? Why do we insist on uh, good being the enemy of perfect? 
you know, this is a, this is a, an interim solution until we sort this out. And uh, we're on the verge of, uh, I think, rejecting something that is an, an interim solution. Uh, we'll be keeping an eye on that. That meeting goes at five o'clock today and uh, we'll be telling you about that. But the city does get a thumbs up on another initiative, something oh. else that they're doing right, in our opinion. We were all over the... Uh, the, the reverse in angled parking when they announced that back in the summer, it appears as though that experiment is working out nicely. This is an angled parking pilot. It's on Bannatine Avenue. It's between Waterfront and Rory. City wants to make more parking available in the exchange district, so they started this project back in the summer. The city gathered feedback from the summer. Now they want to hear from you. If you use the parking spots in the winter, you can fill out an online survey over the next two weeks. I have been downtown, like actually uh, driven downtown and parked downtown. I guess technically it was in the exchange district twice in the last six months, both of them in December, both of them were so that I could run into Toad Hall to do some Christmas shopping. So I was not anywhere near there. So I have not used it. Greg, have you happened to be downtown and use this? Absolutely. I went out of my way to use it as a proponent of it. And yeah, it works uh, almost perfectly. They did it almost exactly right. I still insist it's on the wrong side of the street, but based on the setup of the street, I understand why they put it on that side. Uh, Ideally, you would be backing in on the opposite angle so that when you're pulling out, you could see oncoming uh, traffic uh, right at your driver door versus having to look through your car and across for oncoming traffic. So I give it eight out of 10. Okay. And then there's, so that we've got a thumbs down and a thumbs up and now. Yeah, this two hour parking downtown. I know we got to take a break here. So maybe we can talk about it a little bit later. There was the controversy around Christmas time about whether or not uh, the parking downtown on Saturdays was two hours by two, get two free or two hours of free or two hours of complimentary parking. Uh, If it's complimentary, you don't have to buy anything in the first place. Uh, Now there are new stickers apparently showing up on these meters downtown that are uh, making, it looks as though the two-hour free parking isn't even mentioned on those stickers. But uh, we'll be digging on that throughout the day. What's your experience been with the parking uh, downtown on Saturdays? Has anything changed in the last three weekends? Uh, GMAC at CGOB.com or Brad at CGOB.com. Winnipeg police have released the number, the numbers from their check stop program for this holiday season. Uh, Shadow Davis has insight on that. Good morning. So yesterday we got the final totals from the Winnipeg Police Holiday Check Stop program. This is only Winnipeg Police, not RCMP. Here they are. In the five weeks of the program, a total of 5,231 vehicles were stopped, 106 roadside breath tests were completed, 10 fails, 17 warns, 43 arrests related to impaired driving. Of those 43 with DUIs, 33 were men, 10 were women. The average age of the arrested was 37, the youngest being 21 and the oldest being 64. The average blood alcohol level, twice the legal limit at 0.16. Names of the arrested will be released once all of the charges are laid. It could be as early as today. In terms of the number of impaired arrests related to last year and the year before, well, they're down. I guess this is kind of good news. The number again this year, 43. Last year, it was 45 and 56 in 2015. Here's something a lot of people are unclear on. 
What's the penalty for a DUI? So let's take a moment here. First, if you blow a warn, that's between .05 and .08, you get a 24-hour license suspension. Big whoop, right? The penalty will be more severe if it happens again and then again. What happens if you refuse a breathalyzer? Well, the first time you get a two-year license suspension and it gets worse after that. If you're convicted of impaired driving, that's blowing .08 or over. Your first offense will be a one-year license suspension. If you're convicted of impaired driving that results in harm or death of another person, you will face the following consequence. First offense, five-year license suspension, plus a slew of other charges like manslaughter, dangerous driving, causing death, etc., which will translate into much stiffer penalties like heavier fines and jail times, plus you may have to forfeit your vehicle. For DUI convictions, first offenders rarely receive jail time. Second offenders receive a minimum sentence of 30 days and 120 days for each subsequent conviction. Offenders must pay a minimum fine of $1,000 for a first conviction. Once license suspension is over, offenders must use an interlock device for at least a year. If you're caught driving a vehicle without one, you can face a $5,000 fine and a jail sentence of up to one year. And that's the Coles Notes version. For all the particulars, hit gov.mb.ca. Do these penalties go far enough? Honestly, I don't think they do. Not to sound high and mighty here, because I'll admit I've driven after drinking in the past. Not in the last couple of decades. It's cabs or DDs these days if I'm going to drink. It just has to be, because there's too much at stake, right? I'd also suggest anybody that says they've never driven after drinking has never driven, never consumed alcohol, or is lying because, hey, we were all young and stupid once, right? So, what should the penalties really be, seriously? Should we be talking about heavier fines and longer jail times? Meh, doesn't seem to work. What about public humiliation? Well, the names are already published in the paper and online, but what about taking it a step further? They're already using DUI plates in Prince Edward Island and some states down south, but no special color that everybody can see, just a special code in the plate number so the cops know what you've been up to with your driving record. But what about bright pink plates? Or how about making the car owner paint their car pink or some other color that really stands out at their own cost? Humiliating and definitely a deterrent, wouldn't you say? You might be smiling right now, but would you want to be behind the wheel of something like that? Everybody looking at you all the time, knowing what you did? I imagine you'd be a very big hit at work. The next thing we could do after that is maybe bring back the stocks? But that might be going a bit too far. Maybe. Back to Mackling and McGarry. Hmm, I think maybe people would just think you sold stuff for Mary Kay and were very good at it. <laughs> Didn't you used to get a pink Cadillac if you were like the top Mary Kay salesperson of the year once upon a time? Oh, that's right. A pink Cadillac. A pink Cadillac. Nice. I was in that movie, The Mary Kay Story, as an extra way back in the day. I think Shannon Doherty was here filming that. It was filmed here in Winnipeg. I played a police officer in a couple different scenes. Did you get to speak? Non-speaking parts, non-credited parts. Yeah, but the uh, craft food services were very good. Talk about an industry that is talking. It's all hurry up and wait. Man, that is not like if you get bored easy. 
Oh. Like, oh, gee whiz. You don't want to be an extra in a movie. No. Uh, with all due respect to everybody that's done it, it's 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 not as glamorous it, as it may appear on the surface. Or maybe it doesn't appear glamorous in any way, shape, or form. Shadow makes an interesting point, though, when he says if you have never driven while under the influence of alcohol, you've either never driven mm-hmm. or you don't. Or what was he? You've said, ne- either never driven, driven, never drank, or, or you're or a liar. lying. Yeah. And I will... I, can, I mean, I know that I have done it. He said we've, he's, he admitted to having done it in the past. He said, you know, he was young and stupid, and I, too, have been uh, stupid in my youth. I remember driving home from Zach's on Jefferson in, I don't know, 1996, maybe, and uh, I was the DD, and I had 12 drinks that night, and I drove my friends home, and I remember crossing Main Street, and there was oncoming traffic, maybe a little bit closer than there should have been, you know, because uh, I thought, oh, I've got time to go. As it turns out, I had time to go, but I, I should not have taken the risk. And I My remember goodness. thinking, what are you doing? Yeah. You just put your life in jeopardy, the lives of your friends in jeopardy, and the lives of everybody else who was coming towards you. It was so stupid. And in a way, like, we all got out okay, and I, I say this, with trepidation saying, I'm almost glad that happened because any time that I, I always remember that. So that will prevent me from making the same mistake. It's always a cab now, or I'll take a bus if I can to get to wherever I need to go. If I want to have a few drinks with my friends, it's just, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. Not worth it at all, brother. One, two, three. Time now for Three Things with Shanalee Vidal. We're all back. Three things together. Look, one, two, three. (laughs) That's right. I'm back in my old seat here. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Today, it's three things to like about winter. Exactly. Since, you know, uh, you know, we always get down on ourselves. Oh, it's so cold, especially in January. January, I find, is such a hard month because it's that letdown after after the holidays. It's already and it gets the 3rd of January. The month is almost it's, over. <laughs> and so, you know, it's nice to have, it's nice to realize all that there are some, some good things about winter. Absolutely. And, and we, I think we have a better winter than, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of other places. I agree with you. Because we're so hardy. So the first thing is... Uh, uh, something new. It looks really neat. Uh, there's going to be these ice castles at the Forks, and this mm-hmm. attraction opens on Friday. So basically, it's these castles and archways made of crushed ice, and they're lit up with the colorful lights that twinkle. And so the staff has spent the past four weeks just cr- dripping and sh- and shaping and uh, just using icicles to create this marvelous display. It looks Super neat, and I'm looking forward to, to checking that out. It takes five to 10,000 ice rods fused together to form these walls. Can you imagine that? Yeah, neat. Very neat. It's pretty incredible. And what's really neat is the location in Winnipeg is one of six locations across North America. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, and the only other Canadian location is Edmonton. So... Hmm. Whatever, I'd been to. <laughs> well, it's pretty, pretty, pretty exclusive for the most part, right? Yes, fair enough. And also, I hear the princesses from Frozen, Anna and Elsa, are going to be making an appearance. Oh, oh. So, what, what day will that be happening? I think that's going to be Saturdays and Sundays. Oh, okay. And the event runs until February 3rd, but keep in mind, it's going to be closed on Tuesdays. Uh, you know, there's lots of stuff closed on Tuesdays. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's kind of a random thing. <laughs> but there's a, I know. In small towns, it's Mondays, right? In yeah, a lot of yeah, cases, things are closed on Sunday and Monday sometimes. Tuesday, okay. But All there's, right. there's lots of other things open on Tuesdays. Sure, too. fair enough. So our second thing, I know that uh, we've, been, we've been talking about this morning, the Red River Mutual Trail is now open from the Forks to the Osborne Street Bridge on the Assiniboine River, and that makes for a total of 1.5 kilometers on the Assiniboine. So, okay, what's great about the Red River Mutual Trail it's, I mean, obviously the ice skating, but it's not just the ice skating. You got it. Yeah. Um, I see on your list here, <laughs> you have one event that uh, Jackie and I have participated think, in several times I, and we love it. I think I know this one. Is that the Iron Man curling bond spiel? You betcha. It doesn't matter if it's 30 below or 10 below. It's an absolute blast. It's for a great cause for Heart and Stroke Foundation. You get people out there that don't know one another. You end up curling on one another teams. Uh, it is decidedly the worst curling ice you will ever play on, <laughs> but it is absolutely a blast. I encourage anyone who's even sort of thinking about getting involved in this event, do it because you will not regret it. And that sounds like fun. I believe that starts uh, February 2nd. And, of course, also in February, we have the Festival de Voyager, and there's going to be several events for Festival taking place on the ice over there. And by the end of the month, the uh, warming huts are going to be out. Right. So we look forward to that. And as well, nearby at the Arctic Glacier Winter Park, there's going to be lots of free family programming like horse-drawn carriages, uh, horse-drawn wagon rides and indigenous storytelling. That gets started mid-January. Love it. Love it. Lots of fun. Genuine lots, celebration. Lots of fun stuff happening outside the winter. What if I don't like it outside? What if you don't like it outside, Brett? I got the perfect thing for you. Okay. Yeah, you Say can... that again. Say it one more time. <laughs> what if I don't like it outside? <laughs> The okay, so aside from, you know, staying home and catching up on all your, your TV and movies, you're sitting around your apartment and say, huh, you know, I, I got to fix some things around here and do some repairs. Because you know what? If you, you, you don't want to go outside, you get all this extra time now to take care of all those things around the house, all those uh, reno jobs that you want to get done, fix those things that have been broken and that you've been meaning to do, but you've been too busy enjoying the summer. We don't. We don't want Jackie to know. No. (laughs) So, and and as well, if you're, you know, um, I know for me, it's it's you know maybe putting up some wallpaper. I've had these spice racks sitting around. I've been meaning to put up. I want to paint my bathtub. Yeah, we were talking about that yesterday because it's starting to chip. And if you're stumped for ideas, uh, there's the home renovation show that's uh, happening January 12th, 14th at the RBC Convention Center. So get some ideas there, and then you have all that extra time to do some do some renos if you don't like the outdoors. And you can meet Brian Balmer. You can meet Brian Balmer. What's better than that? He's the very big draw. 100%. 100%. Now, Shanley, you mentioned uh, one of the reasons why Winnipeggers, why Manitobans embrace winter is because we are hearty folk. We are. And I'm glad you, you used that particular word because that reminded me of something that WWE wrestling superstar Chris Jericho once said to me. He's, he has said his career, he's rarely, if ever, had any major injuries. And he believes that it's because he grew up here and it made him tough. It made him hearty. He said Manitobans are hearty, tough people. And he it's allowed him to endure the rigors of professional wrestling. And don't forget, Jericho versus Omega, two Winnipeggers, Chris Jericho versus Kenny Omega is happening Tomorrow, uh, tomorrow morning. Yeah, it's like happening. 5 a.m.? Yes, that's right. From the Tokyo Dome. The two Winnipeggers main eventing this, headlining this. I wonder huge. if we could watch that before I'm the show starts. I'm not talking to you right now, Brett. <laughs> oh, Greg, 
Greg's sad that he didn't get to talk Aww. to Chris Jericho. We've had Chris Jericho on our show twice in the last seven months. I was on holidays both times. <laughs> you know what? It was you know what, and and it was uh, just lucky we we got him, and and uh, it was. I'm, I, yeah, it's just very exciting and lucky. And Greg, you should just be happy that uh, we had that privilege. Yes, I, I'm happy for all of you. <laughs> Sorry, Greg. It's okay. And you know, I used to be a I used to be a big wrestling fan back in the day until I rented. You know, I love it, that saying. Back in the day. Back in the day, when you're like 22. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. And then uh, until and but Chris Jericho was the guy you love to hate, kind oh, of. You he know, he was the best. He was. You're on the list, Chandler. You're on the list. <laughs> you made the list. He is an excellent heel. Thank you so much, Chandler Vidal. Three things with Chandler heard every day on the Shadow Davis Show after the eight o'clock news on six eighty CJOB. We've been telling you about Matt Allard and his pledge to ride the bus. Wow, here's a text. Seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. Matt Allard rides the bus. He lives in North St. Boniface. So he rides across the Provence Bridge and to City Hall. That must be a very stressful seven to eight minutes, eh? <laughs> Thank you, Doug. Okay. <laughs> well, to be fair, I don't I don't know where Matt Allard lives. I don't know what street he lives on. I don't know how far he has to walk. He said he couldn't get a Pego card within walking distance, so I don't know where his nearest bus stop is. So we don't know how long exactly it's taking him, but indeed, North St. Boniface is much closer to City Hall than, say, the Maples, or, I don't know, if you're, like, Charleswood, or even where I used to live, Transcona. That would, that's about a half-hour ride That's a from commitment. T-Cones. That so. is an absolute commitment. Greg Mackling, Brett McGarry with you on this Wednesday morning. It's the Shadow Davis Show, and uh, news uh, out of Eastern Canada uh, this one's a little bit of a head scratcher. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what terminology to attach to it, Brett. I, I unbelievable is a word that comes to mind for me. This is related to former hostage Joshua Boyle. He's currently being held in police custody in Ottawa in connection with 15 criminal charges filed against him earlier this week. Shadow Davis has details. Good morning. Many people asking, who is this Joshua Boyle guy and why is he in the news? And I'll admit, a few hours ago, I was in that same boat. I kind of knew the name, but anyhow, Joshua Boyle is a former hostage. The Boyle family, Joshua, his wife, Caitlin, and their three young children, Remember this, they became the subject of international headlines just last fall after a daring rescue mission freed them from captivity in Pakistan. That's where we know the name from. They were just rescued and brought back home last October. I remember now. It was a good news story. His parents were elated and spoke to the media just a day before they arrived home. Listen. Were their parents? We're going to forgive them for their foolishness um, and uh, help them move forward uh, both with most importantly, getting their lives together uh, and reestablishing, um, and also in making sure they get to tell their story when they're ready to tell their story. It's, it's, it's theirs to tell from today on, not ours. By foolishness, he meant how they were captured in the first place. Joshua and Caitlin decided to go backpacking in Afghanistan for some reason, and at some point in their adventure were captured by the Haqqani Network, a Taliban-linked terrorist group, and held by them for five years. All of their children were born in captivity. Boyle has claimed the terror group raped his wife, killed one of the couple's children, and physically assaulted all of them continuously. And now the story, and you may not want to hear this, it's pretty graphic, so if you don't want, if you don't want to hear it, come back in about a minute. 
Joshua Boyle is currently being held in police custody in Ottawa in connection with 15 criminal charges filed against him earlier this week. The charges against Boyle relate to several incidents that are alleged to have taken place in the months since he and his family were rescued. A bail hearing is set for this morning and Global News has been told his mother is set to appear before court to testify. The charges include eight counts of assault, two counts of sexual assault, one count of uttering a death threat, two counts of unlawful confinement, and one count of forcing an individual to ingest a noxious substance, in this case, the sleep-inducing antidepressant trazodone. Boyle also faces one count of misleading a peace officer by trying to convince them that another individual was suicidal in order to, quote, divert suspicion from himself, unquote, according to documents. It's important to note none of these allegations have been proven in court. The identity or identities of the victim or victims are protected by a publication ban. The charges were filed New Year's Day. Boyle's lawyer, Eric Granger, told the Toronto Star his client is presumed innocent and that he's eager to see the evidence in the case. Mr. Boyle's a young man, Granger said, who we all know has been through a lot. He has never been in trouble with the law. Here's a statement to the Toronto Star from Boyle's wife, Caitlin. She writes, I can't speak about the specific charges, but I can say that ultimately it's the strain and trauma he was forced to endure for so many years and the effects that had on his mental state that is most culpable in this. Obviously, he's responsible for his own actions, but it's with compassion and forgiveness that I say I hope help and healing can be found for him. As for the rest of us, myself and the children, we are healthy and holding up as well as we can. So that's all there is. It's far too early to make any judgments in this case whatsoever. But if he is guilty of these crimes, is he responsible for them? After spending five years being tortured, watching your family be tortured and your wife raped by several different men at the same time, according to Boyle himself. And the stupidity and evil of the subsequent rape of my wife, not as a lone action by one guard, but assisted by the captain of the guard and supervised by the commandant Abu Hajar of the Haqqani Network. And I'm not defending these alleged crimes at all here once again, but something inside would just have to snap, wouldn't it? Back to Mackling and McGarry. Thank you, Shadow. Always a unique perspective uh, on every story. We appreciate your commentaries uh, every single morning and throughout the morning. It's 842. Greg Mackling, Brett McGarry with you. It is the Shadow Davis Show, and we were having an extensive conversation on the station yesterday. Brett, I know you were off, but we were just in our our little news meeting that uh, happens during uh, 825 Sports and the and the global news at the bottom of the hour with regard to recycling of plastic bags and the, you know, the news story that uh, Montreal as of January 1st is banned uh, single use bags, those grocery bags that, that you, that you get. And for most, most of us have, I think a struggle in terms of where to put them and how to store them. I think we, most of us have good intentions about reusing them, but they, they, they are a real pain in the rear end. You know, they end up under the sink or one of the Ikea's got those little things with the holes in them that you can mount on your wall. Or we've got a a big plastic bag full of little plastic bags and we've got all sorts of the reusable bags. So, you know, we're, we're, we're committed to a certain extent. And I would just wonder if the actual answer is just to get rid of them all together and then you've, you've got to have a reusable bag with you. I use them as my 
garbage bags. A lot of people in, do that my, for in sure. In my kitchen, uh, either my kitchen as well as uh, I've got a little garbage can in my washroom and then one of my bedrooms. So that's where they get reused. And <laughs> this is actually, uh, I, I partly do this just for the sheer comedy of it, but I have this this little kitchen closet uh, in my apartment. It's maybe a foot wide. It's just one of those tall, narrow closets. And uh, I have like a, 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 a kind of like this miniature thin bookshelf in it that I stuffed in there. I didn't know what to do with this bookshelf, so I put it in there and I have all of my cleaning supplies on it that when I first moved in were accessible. Uh, but over time, I, it's just piled up with, with plastic bags from the grocery store to the point where I can't even close it. I bet you there's 200 bags in there. <laughs> Jerry Richardson. When I was in college, I lived with uh, five other guys, and we had uh, what was, I guess, supposed to be a linen closet. And it was about, uh, I'd say probably about three feet wide, and, you know, however high a closet is, and it was completely jam-packed full of plastic bags <laughs> by the end of the year. That's where, whenever we had a plastic bag, that's where we put it. By the end of the year, we had to really carefully open up the, the door and just shove one in or they'd all just fall out on us. See, like, like I think we're filled with good intentions with these things. We don't want to throw them in the garbage. Yep. Uh, you can take them to just about any grocery store. The major ones for sure have the big bins where you can take them back. And I mentioned yesterday that my kids' school, they have a drive of these things. But uh, I, I think this is a conversation we might be having throughout the year. This may be the... The next thing on the band list here in Banatoba. 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 Oh, I like that. I stole that one from Charles Adler. Oh, you should have just just nope. claimed it. No, nope, can't okay. do that. All right. Charles is my friend. Can't steal. Fine. Uh, I think since day one of our afternoon program, uh, you and I have taken pride in honoring and highlighting the work of local entrepreneurs, uh, philanthropists, and young people who are doing fascinating and impressive things in our community. And uh, this is a topic that we're going to kind of filter into the morning show this morning. Indeed, our next guest is raising funds to benefit a very worthy cause. Willow Place, a family violence agency supporting transformation, healing, and healthy relationships. Chloe Heinrichs is a grade 11 student at Nelson McIntyre Collegiate and is in the Propel Project-based learning program. And she is organizing a fundraising event happening on January 14th. She is here to tell us more about why she was inspired to put this on. Chloe Heinrichs, welcome to 680 Thank you so much for having me. So this is a... Uh, is it pronounced Zumba? Zumba, yes. Zumba, Zumba fundraising event. So before we get into what the actual event is, what is Zumba? Zumba is a form of dance inspired by the Latin culture, and it is a very high energy, fun, expressive way to express yourself through movement. And now uh, a good friend of ours, a common friend of ours is a Zumba instructor, and okay. I, I always think of Zumbas. When I hear Zumba, you remember the Zumba pants, the the kind of the uh, oh the Zubas, <laughs> oh, yeah yeah Zubas, right? <laughs> yeah, oh, right, yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, I had a couple pairs of Zubas. They're horrible. Chloe, fortunately, or hopefully, you don't know what Zubas <laughs> were. They were their hideous uh, uh, clothing that we we wore once upon a time in the 1990s. But Zumba is something that's very popular in terms of yeah, exercise yeah. and combining uh, dance, exercise, and music. It's it's uh, really a, a unique way to. to get into motion yeah for sure for sure so you are doing this event on the 14th which is uh sunday yeah, january sunday 14th yeah so willow place why willow place 
Well, with this whole new movement of um, women empowerment and women kind of coming out and sharing their stories on how they were either abused, harassed, or assaulted in any way, and them just kind of out and sharing their stories, I wanted my fundraiser to play a part in this and kind of... Um, bring more of an awareness and encourage the steps that have been taken in this direction to encourage other women to come out and give everyone a sense of belonging and that we are all in this together. So what does Willow Place do? So Willow's Place is a short-term protective shelter that is located here in Winnipeg. They have 38 beds and they help women and children who have been in some type of wrong in a relationship or environment that they need to be removed. They have 38 beds and they ensure all physical, mental, and emotional needs are met for the women who stay in this uh, shelter. Now, when you say it's a short-term protective facility, does that mean that this is the kind of place where its location is not advertised? No, its location would not be advertised, no. Okay, so if you were, if you are in a situation or you know someone who is in a situation where maybe they could use the the help of Willow Place, I guess you would call them. And or then on their they website would... as well, yeah. Okay. And then they, they well, that's good. Then that, then because then the, the, it really is a safe place where yeah. it's an undisclosed location. Yeah, for sure. Well, why don't we give out their 24-hour crisis line number? I've got it as 204-615-0311 or 877 877- Nine seven seven triple zero seven. That's the twenty four hour crisis line for Willow Place, and uh, good on you for taking on this project. Uh, it's obviously a unique way to go about fundraising, but also a very worthwhile organization that I must confess until yesterday, until I found out you were coming on the program that I'd never even heard about. The other right. part of this uh, piece of the puzzle is the fact that you're in grade 11. You're you're a young right, woman yeah. who's becoming active in the community. What is Propel Project-Based Learning Program? What is that? So, like you said, Propel is a project-based learning program that is offered through the Luriel School Division. So any Luriel School Division student will come to this program and, like you say, it's project-based. So whatever type of field that you most intrigue, me being uh, more on the humanitarian uh, umbrella, would go there and I can pursue a passion for one semester while still receiving all of my high school credits. Okay, and... uh... Where do you find time to do, because I was looking at your, at the information here, and uh, outside of the school, <laughs> where do you find time to organize uh, your volunteer work as well? Like, do you, do you sleep at all, ever? <laughs> <laughs> I do, I do sleep, yeah. I actually volunteer at a uh, immigrant refugee center as well, because at the beginning of my Propel program, I wasn't initially going to host a fundraiser. Uh, my initial goal was to go and help the new immigrants and refugees that are coming into Winnipeg. Though after my volunteer work and learning a bit more about them, I found out that their life and their first couple years here are very structured. And it's very hard to kind of come up with a project within these bounds. So I kind of had to open myself up a little more and uh, I decided to go under the fundraising path instead. So what's motivated you to get involved and propel in the first place? I mean, you're clearly focused and and have an agenda and a a view of what you want to do with your life. But where do you find the motivation and what drives you to go down this road? Um, Well, I've always had a passion for like giving back and I really wanted to devote myself to something that can help me in my post-secondary schooling and kind of make me stand out and just kind of push myself a little further. And this program that was offered through the schooling was seemed like just the perfect option for me to pursue. So Chloe Heinrichs, grade 11 student at Nelson McIntyre Collegiate, the fundraiser happening Sunday, January 14th. I guess give us some details on the actual event. 
So the event will be taking place from 2 till 4 p.m. And there will be a drumming performance from the students of the Peaceful Village program, which is an after-school program that helps uh, new refugee students with their academic work as well as their mini passion projects as well. So there will be a drumming performance as well as um, just a Zumba teacher is teaching you as well as a few door prizes, snacks, water provided all throughout the event as well. So when does it take place? Sorry, Brett. And where do you get tickets? And I'm trying to search my memory bank. Where is Nelson McIntyre Collegiate? Uh, Nelson McIntyre is at 188 St. Mary's Road, and it'll be on January 14th. Um, 2018. Okay, so 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. January 14th. That's a Sunday. Tickets. Well, pardon me. It's a $10 suggested Donations, donation. Yeah. So it is this a thing where you can come and give uh, as much or as little as you want? Yes, yeah. And tickets will be sold at the door. Okay. Yeah. Proceeds go again to Willow Place. Their phone number, their 24-hour crisis line. Uh, Willow Place, by the way, is a women and children's emergency shelter in Winnipeg. 204 615 0311, that's 6150311, or toll free 1 877 977 0007. Willowplace is the website. Chloe Heinrichs is our guest, grade 11 student at Nelson Mack. Thank you so much for coming in and congratulations for, Thank you for uh, leading the way, me. leading the charge in this. Good Thank work. You. Seems like many of us have been feeling under the weather lately. But how do you know the difference? How do you know when you're coming down with a cold or the flu? I honestly have no idea. To explain the difference, we are joined by Dr. Richard Rusk, Medical Officer of Health with the province of Manitoba, live on 680 CJOB. Dr. Rusk, good morning to you, sir. Yes, good morning. Thanks for uh, taking some time with us, Dr. Rusk. We know uh, from from media reports on Global News and here on 680 CJOB, it's been a particularly difficult flu season uh, for the healthcare system altogether, hasn't it? Uh, yes. I mean, this time of year, we always um, have some form of uh, influenza-like viruses uh, floating around, and so therefore it's it's always tough on the on the health system, um, uh, especially for those that that are older, uh, those that have uh, chronic diseases. They definitely get hit harder. But now, what's happened this year, uh, very similar to back in uh, 2014, 2015, it's actually influenza virus that is our predominant virus, and that has come a lot earlier compared to um, uh, last year or a few years ago, which often um, might might kind of come uh, in mid-February. Now, this came over Christmas, and we haven't quite reached our peak, and that's why people are, are that much sicker, because influenza is definitely tougher. So what is the difference between a cold and the flu? Well, I mean, influenza is one of about, uh, there's 10 viruses that we actually track, and the, the problem with influenza, it it actually can it can kill people, and we've already had nine deaths so far this year, um, and it's simply because it it can be really aggressive in in how it how it attacks, um, and it gets into those lungs. You get a, a, a viral pneumonia. Uh, you you have a really hard time breathing. So. And if you've got asthma or, or you've smoked for years and, and, and so you've got chronic obstructive lung disease, something like that, uh, and now the virus gets into your lungs, you, your lungs won't work. And I mean, we all know that if you don't breathe, uh, that, that's not usually conducive to life. 
I think if you speak to most people, Dr. Rusk, without, uh, I'll mind my uh, language a little bit here, but I think uh, that <laughs> diarrhea is a, is a symptom that I think a lot of people associate with the flu. Is that fair to say? Yeah. So, so how I try and distinguish is you've got influenza-like, uh, so that'll be uh, the, the sniffles, the sore throat, the, the cough, um, those muscle aches, and then you've got stomach flu. So you're still using the word flu, but it's it's a it's a different group of viruses. So that could be um, enterovirus or uh, maybe even rhinovirus, um, and so those viruses will go throughout your whole system, uh, and not just focus within your respiratory system. And, and, and so, is, is that the the biggest distinction that uh, maybe in the biggest failure that we make in trying to distinct or, or to distinguish the two for ourselves between a, a a cold and a flu that we most often associate it with some sort of digestive or or stomach issues? Yes, yes, um, definitely. I mean, uh, uh, very seldom are you going to have stomach issues with influenza virus, but with some of those other viruses, yes, you can, and that's actually a good thing uh, because uh, you 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 aren't likely to end up in hospital then. So again, as far as the cold and the flu are concerned, so are the, are the symptoms similar then? If I if I'm getting a like a sniffly nose and a cough, I could either have a cold or the flu or influenza. Yes, exactly. So in those early stages, um, it it's it will have respiratory type symptoms um, and with influenza you, you uh, generally will have uh, those fevers, those muscle aches, the, the chills and the sore throat and whereas with um, some of the other viruses you, you might have the fever but you wouldn't necessarily have so, some of those, those um, other uh, s- symptoms and It'll be the the sniffly nose and uh, maybe a, a a little bit of a cough, but then it'll it'll move move on to other parts of the body as well. Doctor Rusk, while we're on this subject, I want to run one thing, something past you here, and, and maybe this is uh, a particular kind of influenza. I remember a couple of years ago while I was here doing my shift, I felt fine at the beginning of my show, which started at 4 p.m. that particular day. And uh, by the time it was done at 7 p.m., I was sitting in my chair just shivering. Um, And I ran home and I took the hottest shower I've ever taken. And then I put on a pair of sweatpants, uh, T-shirt, sweatpants, and then a house coat. And I sat in my living room just shaking. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, by the next morning, it was gone. Yeah, yeah. So that is actually a very typical uh, manifestation of of multiple viral infections, and so you were having uh, the, you, you you hear us talk about the the chills and the and the sweats and 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 so I'm sure if you had taken your temperature then it would have been elevated, and so that's a that's a natural um, way that your body addresses um, a viral infection where you you sweat it out you have a high fever and then obviously if you if you well uh, you don't have these these chronic underlying um, uh, conditions you able to fight that off but it's the people that that uh, don't have 
that immune system that can deal with it that that here at, in, in, in public health, we really worry about it because those are the people we need to be looking after. Now, Dr. Russ, before we let you go, we've obviously uh, for years now been promoting the idea of getting the influenza uh, uh, in va- uh, vaccinations. Uh, we know that this year it's not overly effective. Let's leave that aside. If I get influenza, how should I treat myself? Is there anything that a doctor can prescribe for me? Is it rest? Is it uh, intake and keeping my fluids up? What should I be doing to get better? Yeah, it's 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 all of that, um, but we also know that with uh, influenza, the antiviral, an- the 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 Tamiflu um, antiviral medication actually does help. the The thing is, you need to get it in as soon as possible. So, um, if you're having those those those, those uh, fevers, that that sore throat. Um, and and kind of what what you described earlier on, where you're just shaking and and you you really are you feel sicker than than previous flu type uh, experiences you've had. Get into your physician, and our recommendation at the moment is that we need to uh, get that prescribe that sooner than later. Obviously, ideally, um, seeing as we we're not over this yet it's better to even get vaccinated because if you've been vaccinated then uh, you potentially if you do get sick it's going to be uh, less symptoms and then secondly uh, you're not going to be spreading it uh, at the moment we're only at at uh, less than 20 percent of the population has been vaccinated so if you think about it if if i've been vaccinated potentially the three of us on this conversation um <laughs> there's a few others that that haven't been vaccinated. I mean, it's one uh, one in five of people that have been vaccinated. It's going to spread. That's why we need to get get people vaccinated. Dr. Richard Rusk, Medical Officer of Health with the Province of Manitoba, thank you so much for giving us some of your time this morning on 680 CJOB. Well, thanks very much. Brett, uh, you and I were comparing notes about some of the things we got for Christmas mm-hmm. over the last few hours. Uh, I forgot to mention that I did get a couple of gift certificates for books. I didn't get any books, okay, but that's good. That means I get to pick the ones that I want to read. Well, and in case you've resolved to read more books this year, like Greg has, Chris Hall from McNally Robinson Booksellers is here to introduce us to some page turners that just might inspire you to keep with your New Year's resolution. Chris, welcome back. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Happy New Year to you, sir. Happy New Year to you guys. You had quite the busy holiday season, I presume, at the store. We did. It's always a sprint through December, but uh, it's fun. Good fun. Yeah, I was there a couple of times shopping for various uh, people, and every time the the lineups just kept getting longer, the the more I procrastinated, uh, which right. I'm sure you just loved it when you come in and see the lineup going 20, 30 deep. Yeah, we had our cookies out. We uh, we make cookies at Christmas for people and when the line gets that long. To oh, really? Give them a reward when they get to the front. It's quite funny. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's yeah. quite brilliant, I yeah, have to uh, say. Hey, uh, why don't we start with a, a couple of titles that uh, some folks may have heard of or or maybe are ones that they should be hearing and, and talking about, maybe including in their book clubs for the next couple of months. Sure. Well, I thought I'd bring a range of things because my theory is that no uh, two people take the same trip through a bookstore. So we all read different books, slightly different, and there's no obligation to read what everyone else is reading unless you want to. So I brought fiction and nonfiction and, uh, and a variety of things uh, 
because different books appeal to different people. Well, why don't we start with the fiction? Sure, yeah. Well, I brought in a mystery, a mystery book. Um, there's lots of great mysteries. Uh, they're certainly page turners. You want to try to figure out the puzzle. The example I brought in is an author named Peter May, and his latest book is called Cast Iron. Um, he has a, uh, uh, several detectives. This In this book, it's Enzo McLeod, who's a forensic detective and, and specializes in cold cases. So there's a, a skeleton dug up in... Uh, in uh, France, uh, somewhere with a uh, um, with a blue plastic bag over the head, so he's got to figure out what uh, what happened to this person. Oh my! Yeah, How too many scary books? for me. I've said that before. Oh. I don't read the mysteries. <laughs> <laughs> you and Jeff Braun will get along just fine, I suspect, Chris. Does it even even describing it? Does that uh, give you goosebumps or heart <laughs> I, palpitations? I was once proofreading our catalog, and when I got through the mystery section, I had to go take a walk and uh, settle back down. <laughs> <laughs> well, we appreciate that uh, you you braved it to bring it in and tell us about it today. He's uh, be- kept it closed, though. You know <laughs> that's that. I'm not, I'm not touching it. <laughs> well, why don't we turn to something that's a bit safer for your uh, for your taste? Yeah, well, I thought I'd bring in a biography. There's lots of people that like to read biographies. There's a lot of different biographies on different kinds of people. There's a big one out this year on Leonardo da Vinci that sold mm. really well. The example I brought in is, a, I guess, an autobiography specifically, but it's uh, by Alan Doyle, a lead singer of Great Big C, and he's just a great storyteller. We've had him in the store now twice. He was here in the fall for this book, and this one's called A Newfoundlander in Canada, so it's a follow-up from his first book. He's just a natural storyteller. When he's in the back room with us, kind of getting ready to go out, he's just telling stories. He's he, he doesn't stop. And so reading this book is a bit like sitting across the uh, the table at the pub, uh, listening to him tell stories about his uh, early trips to Canada with his band and uh, where Canada discovered them and they discovered Canada. Well, uh, Alan Doyle sat in that chair not I that bet. long ago. We had the great uh, honor to, to meet him here and Jeff Courier had him on his program and he's such a great proponent and lover of music that is Manitoban. Mm, he's in yeah. awe of the amount of music that is produced in our province. So that uh, I already had an affection for Alan Doyle, but when he mm. speaks so glowingly about our province and our musical heritage, uh, that, that lends uh, one more level of credence uh, in my mind. Sue Grafton uh, mm, passed mm-hmm. away. Uh, I guess it was obviously late last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, her books must be flying off the shelves. Yeah, that's what happens. Um, it's somehow, well, I mean... It's, it's a way that we pay kind of homage or give pay our respects to authors when they pass away. We kind of are compelled to want to, oh, yeah, I've always meant to read that. I want to make sure I get it, get that done. It, um, um, so, yes, that, that happens. It's, um, um, it's always a bit tricky for us. It's an opportunity to sell books, and, sure. and it feels a bit wrong. But at the same time, that's what people want to do when, when someone passes away is remember them. And so, so it feels better when we, when we think of it that way. So certainly, yes, where the books are selling. You know, that's a, that's a great point because I remember last year when Carrie Fisher died mm. and I started to, I was reading all the articles about it and I knew she was, had, was an accomplished author, but I didn't realize to the extent of which, mm. uh, and I wanted to, I, so I went out to try to get my hands on a couple of their books and they were gone mm-hmm. everywhere yeah. I went. Yeah. They were gone yeah. and I was meant to go back to it and... Of course I have not no. uh, because yeah, like you said, it happens in the wake of someone's death and then... So I, yeah. I, 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 I'm, I'm 
I'm going to make a note of this mm-hmm. to go back and get those books. Well, we, we set up displays when a, when a major author passes away, and yet it almost acts almost like a shrine. People kind of stand in front of it and almost pay their respects. It's quite uh, quite remarkable. Yeah, actually. the connections we have to these authors mm-hmm. uh, for me, and and now my kids, Roald Dahl, uh, uh-huh. such a tremendous connection with with his stories, and and to see my kids enjoying the books, these timeless novels that uh, I enjoyed as a kid. To, for to see them standing the test of time is always heartwarming. Have you got anything for kids uh, that you brought I in? I didn't today, bring Chris? in for kids. I would. Well, uh, gee whiz. I know. Sorry, <laughs> I didn't mean to set you up yeah. for uh, failure there, Chris. Yeah, there's lots of great kid stuff for sure. Um, well, you know what? I just bought uh, for my my friend uh, kid Elliot. Um, I bought him a couple of books in the Dogman series. <laughs> My daughter's way into Dogman. Yeah, he he opened the he opened the present. He and he said thank you, and he ran away and he read the first book in like an hour or not even. He came back on a half hour later. He said, "I'm done." Absolutely. Okay, well, Merry but then Christmas. I bet you he's reread it two or three times <laughs> <Probably>. now. Right? <laughs> yeah. the, the ability of kids to consume information these days uh, is overwhelming because one of my boys, they're both voracious readers. One uh, kind of takes his time. The other just kind of speeds through. And it's like, there's no way you read that already. <laughs> and I'll pick different points, uh, parts of the book, and I'll quiz them. Oh, yeah, that was so-and-so's uncle. And, yeah, I get I. Yes, you just read quickly. Absolutely. So what else have you got for us, Chris, before well, thought, we derail this entire thing? <laughs> I thought I'd bring in something local because one of the things that we sometimes forget are uh, local books are uh, sell better than any any others. I ultimately are... Uh, really? Yeah, like our 2017 bestseller list is uh, is a book called Lake Agassiz by Bill Redekop, oh, who, uh, beautiful you know, book. a local story about Manitoba. It's, and it's uh, one of your legitimately yeah, best-selling absolutely. books. So yeah. when you put that Manitoba bestseller list yep. out. It's just not to placate the Manitoba authors. No, they're literally the the best selling. I mean, the first few at least. Certainly, like Agassiz was our biggest seller last year. For, Isn't that for book, something for to know? Book, at least, yeah. Wow. Yeah, and so if you've ever driven west in Manitoba and you wonder why that big rise of land is there and what it is, well, it's the shore of a great lake that used to be cover most of Manitoba and an awful lot of the prairies, and and this book will tell you all about it. <laughs> Neat. Uh, I wonder if uh, Bruce the the big sea monster that uh, is in the the, the the museum in Morden. If he came from Lake, yeah, Agassiz. he would have applied yeah, those waters. Absolutely, he would have. What it was? It, what it, what kind of saurus is he? I can't remember. Well, I'll find out. That's why I you... called him a sea monster. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. I can't. Oh, mosasaur. A mosasaur. Uh, correct. Well I don't know done, where the, Brett. Very where that came from. Very uh, impressive. What's the fourth book you brought in, uh, Chris Hall from McNally Robinson? Well, I brought in uh, kind of the latest uh, um, in uh, suspense novels that. Uh, um, kind of um, started with The Girl on the Train, if you remember. There's a whole move towards uh, what they call unreliable narrators. So you're reading the book and you're being told this story, and then you start to think, the person that's telling this story mm-hmm. doesn't seem to be, or seems to be misleading me or maybe trying to manipulate me or make me believe something that's not happening. So this is um, a book called The Woman in the Window by A.J. Finn, and uh, it's about a... Uh, Woman who doesn't get out much. She uh, spends an awful lot of time in her in her uh, apartment, and a new uh, family moves in across the street, and she witnesses something that's not told to us until we get into it um, in the window of this home, and uh, and kind of spirals her. But question becomes: Did she really see it? Is she making this up? Is she kind of going a bit? bit uh, crazy and uh, and so it kind of that's part of the suspense of reading some of these books is is even knowing what's 
what's real. <laughs> what's... Well, that was part of the underlying uh, storyline in 13 Reasons Why, uh-huh. was whether or not we were getting the actual truth or mm-hmm. or one perspective. And, and of course, we, we know that for the most part, we were getting one perspective of the story. Yeah, it's uh, we, we usually read books and you kind of just assume that you're being told a story straight right. up, that the person has no ulterior motives and uh, he's not trying to mislead you. But now there's this whole rash of books that are, well, actually, <laughs> we're just making this stuff up. <laughs> <laughs> Go to the internet to find out what the real story is. That's right. We only have about a minute or so left sure. here. Uh, Manhattan Beach is the fifth book I see that you Yeah, well, in. I brought this in because it's a personal favorite. It's one of the better books I've wrote, uh, read last year. And, uh, I was going to say, you wrote that <laughs> that's one. Right. Good, Chris. Yeah, that's, uh, I, I wish. But anyway, um, the uh, it's more of a historical novel um, set in uh, Brooklyn uh, in uh, uh, during the Second World War. And so it's about a woman who's Father is involved with gangsters. It's got a bit of a noir feel. Um, father goes missing, and uh, and she this this mystery in her life that she tries to figure out uh, what's happened to him. But in the meantime, she she gets a job that she wouldn't otherwise get because uh, as all the men went off to fight, women had to take on some jobs that were kind of close to them. So she becomes this deep sea diver, and she fixes the ships in the harbor of uh, New York and. Uh, so it's it's a real period piece. It takes you right there, and uh, and it's a great story, great experience, lots of atmosphere. I can handle fiction when they tie it to history like I that. I can too. I love it. Fantastic. Who's the author? Before we let you go, Jennifer Egan Beach? is the author of that one. All right, Chris Hall from McNally Robinson. The website is McNallyRobinson.com. And, of course, they are at Grant Park Shopping Center. When's the store at the Forks opening up? Well, we were, I've been distracted. We're trying to get back to that project. We hope by the end of the month is what, uh, what we're still the working assumption. But oh, now yeah? we've got to do the work. Oh, yeah? We've got another store opening. <laughs> Chris, thank you so much for joining us today. So thank you very much. Behind the Glass, Jerry, Shannon Vidal. I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg Mackling. Thanking you for listening to The Shadow Davis Show on 680 CJOB. The Start On Demand is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.